I want to uh, talk to you about the parasha today. And uh, if, so for those of you who are new, the parasha is, it means a portion. And it's the portion that we're supposed to read to, in a sense, prepare ourselves for the weekend. Uh, the Torah reading is from Leviticus, as you can see, 14.1 through 15.33, which uh, I won't directly talk about today. The Haftorah portion is the Second Kings 7, 3 through 20, which I will talk about today. And the Brich Hadashah, the New Covenant, is Matthew 23. So um, this parasha is called Mitzorah, which means infected ones. Not very pleasant, right? And what are they infected with? They're infected with tsa'arat, which means leprosy. Um, again, not a great thing to talk about. So let me give you a little background to 2 Kings 7. And we're going to start with 2 Kings 5, verse 1. All of you know this story. Uh, it's about Naaman, Naaman, the commander of the army of the uh, king of Aram. And he was a great man, as you can read in the scripture there. He was a man, a mighty man of valor, and he had leprosy, which is very strange because you wouldn't think a commander of an army would have leprosy. And it, it, it must be, he must have been really a great man to be accepted as a commander at that time, right? Um, and so, uh, um, Elisha sends him a message and says, go and wash in the Jordan seven times in verse 10, and your flesh will be restored and you'll be clean. And he is really resistant to that, but finally allows the advice of his servant, because his servant says, hey, you're here. I mean, Naaman said, look, all these rivers are the same. What's special about the Jordan? But his servant said, look, you came all this way. If he asked you to do something hard, you would have done it. Now, this is simple. Just go in the Jordan, seven times dunk, see what happens. And he was healed. And then... We see later on in 2 Kings 6.8, the king of Aram was warring against Israel. And he sent a large army, and Elisha's attendant got up in the morning and looked out and got really scared. He saw all this army against him, and Elisha says in verse 16, Fear not, for those who are with us are more than those who are against us, or with them. Then Elisha prayed, and Adonai opened his eyes that he may see. And so his eyes got opened, and this was an amazing thing, that God had all these heavenly hosts, all these chariots that were there, but nobody could see them. Now, 
It's kind of interesting as we compare this passage to chapter 7, which we'll do in a second, you'll see some real strong similarities. So in 2 Kings 6.24, we see that it came to pass that King Ben-Hadad of Aram gathered all his army, marched against Samaria, and they were all around it. They besieged it, as it says. And there was a great famine there. And, um, and it mentions in scripture here, a donkey's head was sold for 80 pieces of silver. Who would want to buy that? I, I'm not quite sure. But at any rate, and the quarter of the cove of dove's dung for five pieces of silver. I don't think we'll go into that right now in terms of what all that means. Just understand that there wasn't a lot of food, and so there was a lot of inflation. You understand the word inflation? Well, okay. So there was a lot of inflation, there was scarcity of food, and there we go. So now that's the backdrop to where we're going for today, which is 2 Kings 7, verse 1. Then Elisha said, Hear the word of Adonai. Thus says Adonai, Tomorrow about this time, a measure of fine flour will sell for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Now, why, why is that a big deal? Because I just told you that everything costs so much, and now he's saying, but in 24 hours... There's going to be all this food, and you can buy it real cheap. So, uh, and then the officer on whose hand, this is verse 2, the king was leaning, responded to the man of God and said, Look, even if Adonai should make windows in heaven, could this thing happen? He announced, Behold, meaning Elisha said, you will see it with your own eyes, but you will not eat any of it. So this was the prophecy that, number one, the food would be uh, plentiful, that, uh, that this particular fellow who uh, was part of the king's assistance, he would um, see it with his own eyes, but he wouldn't be able to be part of it. He wouldn't get any of it. So, uh, what was the problem for him? Well, uh, obviously the king's assistant here uh, didn't believe in God's power, or he didn't believe in the creativity of God, because the city was surrounded. So how are you going to get uh, food into the city? You'd have to airlift it, right? And that wasn't quite happening at that time. And he also doubted Elisha, even though Elisha had a great track record of prophecies being fulfilled. So let's look at verse 3. Now there were four men with tsa'arat, which is leprosy. And this for me is one of the key parts of this chapter. And I'll tell you why in a minute. At the entrance of the gate, And the reason they were at the entrance of the gate is they couldn't go into the city because they had leprosy. And they just figured they'd sit there and hopefully merciful people would bless them with food or something. And they said to one another, there were four of them, why should we sit here till we die? 
If we say, let's go into the city, then the famine is in the city, so we will die there. But if we sit still here, we'll also die. So come, let's go into the camp of the Arameans. If they spare us, we'll live. And if they kill us, we'll just die. Okay. So uh, these four men were really down and out. You know, they, they really had nothing much to live for anyway. They weren't welcome in the city. They weren't going to be talking to anybody, probably except the gatekeeper. Uh, they were considered outcasts, untouchables. And when I was reading this, I was thinking, how many people that we meet are like that to us? How many people do we see as untouchables for whatever reason? It could be that they are disabled or they could be they're poor. It could be that you feel uncomfortable around them for whatever reason. Maybe they didn't get to take a bath. And so, you know, maybe they, I mean, there are all sorts of reasons why we do not esteem other people the way we do others. And I think this is really important for us to think about. So, they had nothing to live for. They were victims, and they could have remained victims. But here's another thing that I love about these four lepers. They said, you know what? We're already at the bottom. Let's do something. <laughs> Let's not stay here. Let's try and make something happen. What could happen to us? And to me, that is such a, you know, there's so many times where we feel discouraged, where we feel like it's the end of the world for us. And sometimes we just stay there and have a pity party and, and let everybody else around us feel lousy too, because that's what we do. When we feel lousy, everybody's going to feel lousy. But these guys said, no, we're, we're going to do something. We're going to take a chance. And I believe that God generally works when we step out of the boat with faith. Now, I don't know if they had faith or not, but they stepped out of their boat. And they were saying, we're not going to deal with this, this depression that we've been talking about for weeks and maybe years of sitting out there. We're going to do something. So, the other thing that's interesting, I feel, is because there were four of them, they felt encouraged. If it was just one of them, I bet they wouldn't have done it. But when you surround yourself with other people, they will challenge you, they will encourage you. They, even if they don't encourage you, they will direct you some way, somehow, there, there is something better about being with people as, as, as much as they're people, which means they're going to be irritating, but uh, 
But as much as they irritate you, it's still kind of a requirement of life to challenge us to go in a direction that God wants us to go, to, to be directed rather than to be alone and to be a recluse. And I know a number of us, including myself, uh, and even this morning I was thinking as I was in bed, I'd say, can I just put the covers over my head and stay here? It's feeling awfully good. I think that we need people to just energize us. Now, I realize sometimes they don't energize us, but, but in this case, these four lepers, they energized each other so that they were going to do something. So let's look at verse 5. They got up at twilight to go to the camp of the Arameans. But when they arrived at the edge of the Amorean camp, behold, no one was there. For Adonai had caused the army of the Arameans to hear a noise of chariots and a noise of horses. Indeed, a noise of a huge army. So they said to one another, look, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to assault us. So they got up and fled at twilight, abandoning their tents, their horses, and their donkeys, the entire camp, just as it was, and fled for their lives. So you see the similarity here as uh, we saw the... the, the um, our, our eyes were open so we could see the uh, God of hosts, the heavenly hosts all around us with that army. And here, they actually heard the army. They heard the army. It wasn't physically there, but they heard it and they left. Now, this kind of miracle, you say, okay, well, it's the Bible. No, actually, it's real life. Because in the 67 war, you heard about the same things happening where the, the various Arab groups, armies, saw people who weren't there in the horizon and dropped their, uh, their, their guns and ran. And, and so God still does this. Okay, not every day, I get that. But, but God still does that. And we have to understand that at, the, at, the, at times where we might least expect it, God is going to do something so miraculous, it will blow your mind. And, and so, uh, in verse 8, so these men with the leprosy, or the sa'arat, uh, came to the edge of the camp. They entered into one tent, ate and drank, took from their silver, gold, and clothes. They went and hid them. Then they returned and went into another tent and took from there too and went and hid them. But then they said to each other, you know, this isn't right. What we're doing, this day is a day of good news. And we're keeping silent. Now, wait a minute. These are the lepers. Nobody pays any attention to them. They are the dregs of the dregs. And they're thinking of all the people who have, for years, just walked right by them. And, and had no regard for them whatsoever. And now they're thinking of those people and saying, wait a minute, we've got to share this good news. 
We've got to share it. And I, I think of sharing our faith. You know, we've got to share our faith. We've got to share our faith. When there's good news, there's good news. We've got to tell people. And sometimes it might seem hard to tell the rich people because they seem to have stuff. But they're going through things too. So we need to share our faith. So they end up, they say, we, uh, this is a day of good news. We're keeping silent. If we wait till morning light, punishment will overtake us. Let's go now and report to the king's household. So we, th these people, they thought about the others. Uh, I mean, they, they in a sense... I realize they hid some away, but, you know, <laughs> they were acting in, in many ways like believers. And, and uh, you know, when, when you're a victim, it's so hard to make a right decision. So I just think the world of these guys, because when you're down and out, to make a, a, a righteous decision is so difficult. And, but they realized, and so... Um, so they shared, and now we're up to verse 10. So they came and called out to the city gatekeeper. Why did they call out to the city gatekeeper? He was the only one who was going to talk to them. And so when you think about this, think about all the pieces of this story that, that, that God does every day with us. But there are so many pieces to a story that have to line up for something to happen. And so they, he calls out, they call out to the city gatekeepers and told them um, and explained what was happening. The, the gatekeeper called out and it was reported to the royal palace inside. And uh, so that's how it got to the king. And it's amazing that it, it got there that people believe this. But when the king got up in the night, he said to the courtiers, uh, let me tell you now that the Arameans have contrived this against us. So he thought it was a trick. He thought this was a trick. As soon as they got out there, they'd attack. They'd no longer be uh, protected by the city. But obviously, it wasn't a trick. But like in the story of Naaman, there's an assistant, and the assistant says, King, what if it's true? You know, he's very Jewish. <laughs> what if it's true? You know, he had the hand gesture, everything. <laughs> and the king said, all right, you know. So he sent, uh, uh, by, by the way, please let some men take five of the remaining horses. So there were obviously, they were probably eating horses, and there were very few horses left. So five of the remaining. And so they checked it out, and they found out that it was true. So um, verses 14, 15, talk about that. And you can see the similarities to what happened with Naaman. And then we see in verse, the end of verse 16, then a measure of fine flour was sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel, just as was the word of Adonai, just as Elisha prophesied. Now, 
The king appointed the officer on whose hand he had leaned. This was the fellow who didn't have the faith. Uh, he got trampled at the gate, and he died. So everybody else was going out to get their food and, and whatever they could carry and take and animals and, and so on. And as these people were going by the gate, they trampled this guy who didn't have a lot of faith. And one of the things that seem to be apparent here is when we have unbelief, oftentimes we see other people having joy and partaking with God. And we don't get to partake, not because it's not available to us, but it's because of our unbelief. And, and this, to me, is a principle of Scripture that um, we have to understand that when we are offering the good news to people, we're offering the blessings of God to them. We're offering the thing that will set them free spiritually, emotionally, many times physically. This is something that they can't get anywhere else. And we've got to be sharing our faith daily. We've got to understand how blessed we are, even if we are considering ourselves as lepers. Because how often do I hear people say, I am not good enough to serve God. And that is a lie from the pit of hell. We have to understand that each person made in the image of God, God wants you to be active and serving. And in a sense, these four lepers serve the entire community. And that's what we have to learn. If God can use these outcasts, he can use us. He used it in the, in, in the story of Naaman. We have one assistant who acted righteously and told Naaman what to do, which was correct. We had another assistant of Elisha who was greedy. And he ended up getting the leprosy on him because of his greed. We have to have right attitudes. Secondly, we, we have to have an attitude which will contribute to situations in life. If you are here and you're part of our congregation, you should contribute. I'm not talking about money, though you can contribute money too. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is to contribute... You should not have to be here more than one service before you say, is there anything I can do to help? Because that's what God would have us do. People need to be part of the family as soon as possible. And the way you become part of the family in your own mind is to have value. And the way you have value is to serve. And so that's why we serve. It gives us value. 
it gives us tremendous value. And God knows that. It's his economy. Another thing I think we should learn from this passage is that we need to have good people around us who encourage us, who help us, who, to, who push us, who motivate us, who challenge us. There are times we need a strong word to get us out of our lethargy. We need to be pushed. We need, um, yeah, we need to be pushed. Is Rachel here? I was just thinking of, I was just thinking of pushing, and, I, and immediately your name came into my mind. Um, well, only in love, absolutely. You know, I was thinking, you know, Rachel's been pushing me for six, seven months now about one, one thing, and I'm, I'm working on it. I told you, I'm, I'm working on it. Because I feel like that guy in Luke 18, you know, the, the, you know where the woman comes and, and just beats him to death. He says, okay, <laughs> all right, I'll do it. <laughs> but it's, it's important to have people around you who will do this. If, if people don't do, do this, we, we, will be, we won't be worth much. We have to have a group that pushes and, and, and individuals who push to make things happen. For, I, I really believe that's important so we don't get off track. Left alone, it is easy to get off track. And, and so I, I really believe that I, I, I think of the king and I think of Naaman and I think these are two leaders who allowed the people who were under him to tell him what to do. And he, they followed. And that to me is a sense of humility in leadership which is so important. And then the, other, the last thing I would mention to you about this passage is that it is easy to not see God's miracles. You know, you might be walking around today and not seeing the miracles of God. That is really unfortunate because it's not that they're not there. It's just that your eyes have not been opened to see them. God is, I mean, just, I had this discussion with somebody yesterday. Uh, most of you know I, I like to walk and pray, and, and I do that early, early in the morning when it's dark, but I see the outlines of the trees, and I see the sky, and I see the stars, and I see the moon, and I, I, everything that I see is a miracle of God. I, I see the, the houses, I see the cars, they're still miracles of God. You know, without material, you couldn't make those things, and, and we have progressed so much that, uh, that our intellect allows us to do amazing things, whether it's in space or here at home, but, but the thing is that without God, none of that is possible. 
So we have to open our eyes and be thankful for the things that we have seen. And it's so easy if you watch TV to get depressed because of what is going on in the world. Regardless if you're on the right or if you're on the left or if you're in the middle, you're probably unhappy um, with whatever's going on. But, but God is on the throne and so we don't walk around unhappy because we know that God is in control. And even if we don't see it, he is still doing miracles. He's doing miracles in us individually. He's doing miracles in our family. He is doing miracles in our friends. He is doing miracles in this congregation. And we need to focus on that and not the negatives. And so this is one of the things that we've got to learn from, from this passage. Now the greatest miracle that God gave us is another miracle we didn't see with our physical eyes, and that's Yeshua. Yeshua is a miracle because the fact that Yeshua came, and Billy said this earlier, the fact that he came allows us to have our sins atoned for, and, and that means that we have uh, the opportunity to have a relationship with God, a personal relationship with God. Talk about things that the world doesn't understand and they can't see and they can't figure it out and they, they just, they rail on us for being crazy. But, but I'll take that kind of craziness any day. I, you, you know, people say, well, oh, you depend on God as a crutch. And I say, yes, and I am happy to do that because it's the best crutch I know. What crutch do you have? What are you depending on? And, and so, you know, I'm, I'll take that crutch, crush, crutch, <laughs> and crush, yes. So, so. I want to give people an opportunity to accept the greatest miracle of God into their life today. There's no formula except that you say words to God from your heart. And if you mean them, God does something crazy within you that is hard to understand, but he brings you into his kingdom here on earth and your life is never the same. So if that's you, if you are willing and want to, uh, let's look at these words and possibly say them or something similar right now. I am not willing to ignore God's miracles. I want Yeshua in my life as my Lord and the atonement for my sins. I am sorry for my sins. I receive Yeshua into my heart, and I dedicate my life to you, Lord. And if you've said that for the first time, I'm asking that you see me after service. I want to give you a Bible. But it's not just any Bible. It's called a uh, New Believer's Bible. And it will help you navigate scripture and it, it will be excellent for you. In fact, I want to do the same thing for the Facebook people who might have 
made a pledge to God right now to accept Yeshua into your heart and life. And if that's you, just email us, call us in our office on Monday. We want to get this Bible out to you as well. Let's close in prayer. Father, your word is a light to us. A light to us. It's a path that we are to walk in. And we ask, Lord, that you would touch the very hearts of each person here today. That if they don't know you, that they would make a commitment to you today. And if they've already made that commitment, Lord, I ask that you show them something supernatural from you so that they know that they know that they know that that commitment was not in vain, but it was real. And that you are real, Lord. And that you are calling us to live by your scriptures, by your instructions. So, Lord, we bless you. We thank you. We praise you. And we ask that your word go right into our heart and transform all of us so that we can live for you. We bless you in the name of Yeshua. Amen.